Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A real estate agent showing their house with a couple found them tied together by their pool. They had been uh, strangled to death. She had a mark on her face, but by whom that wasn't clear. Because of some of that forensic evidence not being captured early on in the investigation, no matter who was investigating, they were going to be behind the eight ball. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A massive $35 million has been put up as a reward for information into the unsolved death of a wealthy Toronto couple killed in their home in 2017. Barry and Honey Sherman were discovered side by side at their indoor pool with leather belts looped around their necks and tied to the railings. But cops first thought their death to be a domestic murder-suicide. Instead, a killer had gained entry and murdered them both, leaving behind a mystery shrouded in allegations of deaths and unpopular business decisions, which had left Barry Sherman with many enemies. Today, I'm talking with the Toronto Sun crime journalist Brad Hunter about the case and what new leads may have been drawn from the massive reward money offered. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Why don't we start the Irish way and I'll ask you what your weather's like. What's the bloody well like there? Is it freezing? No, it's no. Uh, it's nice. It's sunny. The leaves are uh, changing and it's uh, uh, a cornucopia of colour. Uh, uh, and it's, it's not that cold right now. It's, you know, probably, you know, about uh, 12 degrees Celsius and sunny. It's like ourselves then, really. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. No, it's it's not, uh, you know, we're not living in igloos here, despite, uh, you know, contrary to uh, myth. Uh, so listen, we're on to discuss an extremely interesting unsolved murder case that is now offering a reward of $35 million, Canadian dollars. 
Canadian dollars, which would work out to, I think, around 50 million euros, I think. Okay. Or, so I know you Canadians are pretty crazy lot, but is that a, like, is that an extraordinary amount of money over there for a case, you know, for a reward? Oh, it's it's off the charts. It's completely off the charts. Normally, you're looking at fifty thousand max. Yeah, and this is or a hundred, but this is really off the charts. So, what's going on here? And the victims are obviously the, the victims. Barry Sherman and his wife Honey were massively wealthy themselves, billionaires. That's correct. So, tell me a little bit about them, who they were, and what happened. Firstly. Well, there was a story years ago, and I'm reminded of Barry Sherman this that uh, that uh, I, I covered in New York about a slumlord who was murdered, and the headline we ran on the front page was "Who Didn't Hate Him." Uh, the list of suspects is long. Uh, you know, he he's been referred to uh, as a man without any redeeming qualities. Uh, as a despicable human being and other sorts of things. Why? Now, what did he do so bad, apart from make well, loads of he, money? He, well, he he just screwed a lot of people. He, he Barry Sherman, uh, his uncle, a man named Louis Winter, owned a company called Empire Labs. Now, he ended up with Empire Labs that made drugs of various and sundry kinds in the, the late 1960s. Now, his uncle, Louis Winter, he died, and 17 days later, his wife died. I'm not sure who died first, but and that left uh, four young orphans who were in their will, were uh, slated to get 20% of uh, Empire drugs. But through slippery machinations and whatnot, they, those kids got nothing, and uh, Barry Sherman ended up with the ball, took the money he sold from that, and he launched a company called Apotex. Apotex is the world's, uh, well, the company's been sold now, but the, uh, the world's largest maker of generic drugs. So they're the uh, kind of things, if you go in over the counter and you look for a particular drug, they say to you, do you want the, you know, that, one without the, the name on it, basically the same thing. That's that's exactly it. Now, he made this fortune when copyrights would, would uh, or patents would, would pass on certain drugs. He would go in and start manufacturing the knockoffs and whatnot. So he was widely hated by the pharmaceutical industry. And he was litigious as hell. He would sue his own mother. Mm. If uh, if he thought she was getting one over on, uh, they were you know the couple were well connected, well known in the uh, the Canadian Jewish community. They gave millions to uh, to Israel and uh, and other uh, other Jewish sort of causes. Um, uh, but uh, but there was this you know, dark aspect uh, hanging over the clouds. Uh, and, and I mean, he was a very unique character. He would, uh, he would drive, you know, his cars until they died. I think his wife bought him a, a, a brand new sports car for his birthday. And he told her to take it back. Uh, you know, he preferred driving his 
16-year-old Mustang that was not your slick Mustang, but when they'd become a more pedestrian sort of car. And, uh, you know, he was a workaholic, he, he, you know, that they'd go on family vacations and whatnot, and he would spend the whole time doing paperwork and, and things like that. But the company became, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar concern. I mean, he was, you know, rich beyond rich. So apart from the fact that he was a shark in business and, um, you know, the couple were obviously very well known, they had a family and they obviously had people who loved them. And, um, you know, they would have been popular in their own circle, I've no doubt. But on the the December 15th, 2017, an enormous tragedy befell the whole family. And he was, what, 75 and his wife was 70. So they were elderly people. Um, yes. Just describe what happened then. Well, what happened? They were last seen, uh, I think, around noon hour at his company's offices, uh, Apotex, not far from where they uh, where they live, and uh, to go over some real estate plans. They had planned to sell their mansion on Old Colony Road for seven million dollars, and she wanted to build a new palace you know, closer to the center of the city in Forest Hill, a wealthy neighborhood in Toronto. And they had met the realtor and uh, I I guess maybe some architects or designers or whatnot at the office. And that was the last time anyone had, uh, anyone saw them alive. Uh, Fast forward uh, two days and uh, a real estate agent showing their house with, uh, with a couple uh, found them uh, tied together um, by their pool, and uh, they had been uh, strangled to death. She had a mark on her face, which indicates that you know she had been hit, but by whom that that wasn't uh, that wasn't clear. Um, so but- the couple who were looking to buy the house basically walked in onto the crime scene along with the real estate agent. That's that's correct. And it gets and it gets worse for, you know, for anybody who's uh, like you and I, who's uh, who've covered these sorts of things in the past is that the cops completely uh, blew it. Uh, Now, just a bit of background. The Toronto Police Homicide Unit has one of the most spectacular uh, clearance rates in North America. and you know, well over eighty percent. Now that came after this time uh, under the direction of uh, Detective Inspector Hank Zinga. Uh, but this was initially ruled um, a murder suicide, and there were twenty things, you know, sort of that you and I would walk in and say, "Yeah, that doesn't add up. That doesn't. That isn't right." And, you know, particularly the positioning of the bodies and, and, and different things like that. So it had been ruled a murder-suicide. And then, you know, within weeks, it was, you know, updated to, you know, a double murder. But by that time, because, you know, the first, when you get in there for cops, particularly forensic people, um, you know, that's the time to strike. when you get your evidence when you, you know, you get your things from the vacuum cleaner, you do all that niggly sort of stuff that, you know, solves a lot of crimes. 
and that didn't happen. So, so did they not? Did they not do the proper forensics on the scene, despite the fact that you know they were looking at it as a murder suicide? Murder suicide is always a little bit blurred lines, but there still would have been a crime committed of murder by one individual. Um, uh, before they took their own life, they were suggesting that he had killed her, I presume, if she'd a mark on her face. That's um, correct. Would they not have needed to do the proper forensic crime scene work, despite the fact that they felt they weren't looking for another suspect? I, d- I don't think it was a matter of them not doing any uh, forensics, but I think that uh, the detective in charge was certain that it was a murder-suicide. So that I think they, they didn't do the normal thorough job. Mm-hmm. They would have because, you know, it's like a person lying, you know, dead on the ground. There's the gun and there's the other guy. So, yeah, it can often but, be seen as a as a, a family issue sometimes. I think there is some controversy around a lot of those. Certainly, and she wasn't necessarily a pleasant personality either. Uh, and I what, a, what was the motive that they were looking at on the murder-suicide? I mean, there was hardly money owed. Well, no, there was money owed, Nicola. There, there was money owed. And he, I mean, this gets, you know, into, you know, motive and suspects. I mean, one gentleman, an entrepreneur named Frank D'Angelo, I mean, uh, Barry, uh, Barry Sherman had, uh, you know, lost a hundred million dollars in investments with him. Mm-hmm. There was a, um, Iranian backed, um, property at the, like the primo piece of real estate in Toronto and, uh, Barry, they owed Barry Sherman wanted out of that deal. I mean, he was much savvier when it came to pharmaceuticals than he was to other investments. Uh, so, and that was $150 million. Um, still, I mean, is, they weren't facing, they weren't facing being on the bread line or there was no, 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 no. Yeah. It no, was more. His son, his son owed him somewhere in the vicinity of $50 million for his, uh, you know, various and sundry entrepreneurial escapades, if you will, uh, including storage units. So. Even, you know, even though he's, you know, a billionaire or whatnot, you know, you start tallying up the money and the lawsuits and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's a good chunk of change. Mm -hmm. So what changed the police mind then that this was not a murder suicide, that in fact a murder had been committed on that property? Um, autopsies, uh, the autopsies confirmed that, uh, that, uh, it, it was in fact a double homicide, mm. but part of the thing is, is that because of some of that forensic evidence, you know, not being captured and, and logged and whatnot early on in the investigation, no matter who was investigating, they were going to be behind the eight ball. No matter what. And and police did in fairly quick order within, you know, not within weeks, you know, made a change on who the who was investigating and, and their approach on it. And and they do have said repeatedly they have a working theory, uh, but, you know, they're not they're not releasing it. 
And just to get down, maybe just a little bit of the detail of the actual murder, we go back to what you said. They were at their indoor pool and both were tied to the railings with a belt or some sort of a... Okay. So they were obviously overcome by an individual and one killed after the other. I mean... Um, were they being, was money being extorted from them? Was this seen as being a torture, some sort of a, an exercise to take money off them or to threaten them? Did it go too far or? I think, I think the, the, the police view, and this is a view I happen to share, is that, uh, that this was a straight out hit. It was, uh, you know, the intention was not to extort, not to, uh, you know, not for any gain other than just to simply take these two off the board. I I think, you know, I've heard some people say, well, maybe Honey was the target. No, I don't think so. It was Barry that was the target. And, and you know, um, and she was just collateral damage. But part of it was, is, is that too, is, uh, you know, it's like the old, uh, Latin saying of que bono. I mean, who benefits, right? A lot of people benefited by not having to pay, you know, Barry Sherman back the hundreds of millions of dollars he was owed. Um, Just off the top of my head as well. I mean, whoever this individual or individuals were who did this had to be trusted enough to be let into the home, was there was there signs of a break-in or was it suspected that they let this individual in? There was no signs of a break-in. Now, the one thing was, is that I'm not sure how quite how you do it, but for estate agents and whatnot, there was a lockbox. And if you had the combination to the lockbox or cracked it open, you would get the key. But there was also a, uh, they had, I guess one of their bathrooms had been repainted or some such thing. And, you know, that window was open, obviously, to air out the bathroom. And and they also typically left their back door open, despite, you know, the dough involved. Um, so, but there were never any signs of a, of a break-in. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, a contract killer would more than likely pay somebody to shoot them and to stay as far away forensically from the victims as possible. Whoever carried out this murder literally would have had to have their hands all over them, both of them. Well, yeah, that's that's correct. Or they would have to know how to get in there. And and uh, so, I mean, that's where you're getting a plot. I don't think it's a, a murder in a vacuum that there was just you know, some psychopath decided I'm going to kill two rich people. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, someone, any number of people could have benefited from, from the demise of, uh, of Barry Sherman. And like, that was December, as I said, 2017. Why are we still talking about this now? Why is this case not solved? And why is this money and I think it was only late last year that extra $25 million was put on to make that reward, $35 million. And that was by the couple's son, Jonathan Sherman. Like, why is this case still open and unsolved? I think it's because they didn't, uh, I mean, they didn't get, uh, they didn't get the jump on it that they uh, that they needed at least forensically to perhaps ID the, the, the killer. I mean, they have... 
they have um, CCTV of who who fits a, a person who fits in with the timeline uh, in the area uh that they they believe that that's the killer now this person walks with a limp they don't have uh, a shot of his face but you know yourself if you go in to pittsburgh on a tuesday you pop somebody jump on a plane you're gone you're in the wind and and you know the 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 you know so we are, those early mis, those early mistakes really and and that kind of initial belief that this was a murder suicide uh caused the biggest problem in this I take it when was that CCTV oh, yeah. re- released to the public yes yeah we ran uh, we ran pictures of uh of of the suspect and you know it was you know this was a person with a limp and a person with the limp had been seen in the area by by witnesses and when that but nobody got a good look at at their face um i mean part of the view is is that she made a run for it to try to uh try to uh you know make a phone call and uh got hit and then was dragged back uh where uh where barry was um the other thing is too is, is i mean you know the the son has you know basically uh, established a parallel investigation with one of the country's top criminal lawyers and a number of retired detectives but you know i mean i i'm not, i don't know how much uh weight i put toward that effort as being anything as uh, staying out in front now that you know i don't think that's going to get me in trouble or us in trouble but uh, but you know i mean I, I covered the funeral, and uh, Jonathan Sherman's eulogy was probably the most disingenuous thing I'd ever heard in my whole life. But, you know, months after uh, his father died, uh, you know, Jonathan Sherman fired the longtime president of the company, who worked longtime friend of Barry Sherman's. They worked closely together, and then you know, a couple years after that, he just sold the company. Um, is but, is this investigation very active in Canada in Toronto? Is there regularly um, appeals for information? Will they look at using the anniversary coming up in December as a reason to kind of you know ask people to come forward again? Well, they may, but I think you know. Uh, as I said, I think there is a working theory, and I think. I think cops know who did it. I just think that they're who was behind it, but they just can't connect the dots. And the, and I think that that's something going forward. They have there hasn't been much on it in really the last two years. Um, you know, I mean, there's been bits and bites and little things over there, but nothing, no aha moment or or anything that. You know, uh, a journalist like you or I could say, "Okay, that's good. That little crumb, I can build that out and work on it." There hasn't. And what about that money? That reward? That absolutely enormous amount of money that's waiting there for anybody who can come forward uh, to solve this murder? Is that not creating a network of sort of amateur sleuths and? Um, you know, is it is it not bringing up all sorts of crazies as well who are 
looking to get out there and to try and claim that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, and I think that's, I think that's one of the things, but as I said, this sort of thing muddies things. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't bring clarity, these, these sorts of appeals, because, you know, there is a one full-time detective, one detective working full-time on the Sherman case, um, you know, and, and, but there's been zero movement on it, at least, you know, in the public eye. And that will probably, I imagine that the, we're probably coming up, I think it's five years that they generally do where, so it'll be this year, I think, or, or that where it flips over to the cold case unit and the Toronto police cold case unit is exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, what happens there? I don't know, but right now there's, uh, you know, no justice for Barry and honey Sherman. Their kids are sitting on piles of money People that owed him money are off the hook and, uh, you know, make that. Does does that happen with every case that isn't solved in Canada, that it just flips immediately into the cold case unit after five or six years? Yeah, typically, usually it's five years and then it goes to the cold case unit and they bring, you know, fresh sets of eyes on it, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of the people in that unit, I mean, they're exceptional is is that what they bring to it is a lot of outside of the box thinking mm-hmm. that, that that you know may not have crossed anyone's mind or an avenue unpursued and of course one of the things they often do is revisit a crime scene when they you know launch a cold case investigation so i just ask you finally what has happened to that crime scene that house that luxurious home that they lived that in that crime scene has been demolished that is uh, no longer uh, no longer a part of the issue. That's that house has been destroyed. The house has been destroyed and the site sold or something. So yeah, that that you know, I guess I think they got it. Think they got everything out of it that they possibly could have, but they were too late. I mean, there were you know maids in there. There were you know it, it was just a, a disaster for a crime scene. Mm-hmm. You see, isn't don't they say it's the first the, the, the is it the forty eight hours before a murder and the twenty four hours after that are the most vital? Well, yeah, no, that's the way around. Yeah, gracious. Well, and and I'm sure you've watched hundreds of episodes of the first forty eight as well. Indeed, indeed. But look, we'll keep an eye on this case, Brad. We might come back to it at some stage if there is developments in it, because uh, you'll be the first to know. Thank you very much. Nice to hear from you. Right, you take care of yourself. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on.
Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.